This copyrighted podcast of the James Perspective has been paid for and funded by James M. Wilkerson. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this podcast are a permutation and combination of words and sentences used in this podcast without the express written consent of James M. Wilkerson and the James Perspective is strictly prohibited. giant preachers back welcome back pastor i'm glad to be back i'm glad to be seen Did, what was it like having to come back to louisiana put on your shoes great <laughs> great he was he was teaching up in arkansas ah. uh, yeah had to put on his shoes i get you where you go james he was able to be no here. no one in arkansas unless he's yours okay that's great he met one person that was both a spouse and a cousin Mm. <laughs> That's what you do in Arkansas. <laughs> My family tree has no limbs. So where were you up in? I was in Mountain View, Arkansas. Okay. And this week you were in town, I guess. So you're back. Yes. Good. All you, right. You ready for the scripture? Uh, yes. What we're going to do is we're going to start today with the scripture. It's uh, Psalms 80, 78, chapter 78, verse 9. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. I think that goes along with postmodernism in that they have turned back in the day of battle. Can we start a conversation from there? We can. I just didn't know. Sometimes you get rolling. I don't like getting rolling. Like getting rolled by train. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> and it wasn't meant as a compliment. Hey, religious train. There you go. <laughs> what did he say? A religious train. No, I said a righteous one. Righteous. All right. No, yeah, I know that Jim's the one that picked this topic. And um, I think I know why. But I sometimes guess wrong on it. So I'm going to let Jim explain. Actually, I'd like to hear your guess. And I'll let you know just in a very <laughs> general manner whether you're wrong. Well, you have a professor who likes to be, um, I don't want to say controversial, but create uh, discussions by saying things that people might not expect him to say, and that he has no problem with postmodernism. And so it's got you to thinking about postmodernism. And if there is an issue with, the, with postmodernism in the country, how do we deal with them? And that's crossed your mind. Right. Yes. And so uh, the part about the professor creating discussion on it is absolutely correct. And that's why we're talking about it today. Uh, I wouldn't say that he doesn't have any problem with it. I would say that uh, compared to most Christians that I interact with, he would he would disagree on a lot of points they make about postmodernism. And uh, a lot of his arguments, I think, are sound. But I didn't mean to say we, I didn't like that's to, why I wanted to talk about it today. What's up? I didn't mean to say that he agreed with it as much as I meant that he he thought we should talk about it. Yes, yes, he thought that we should talk about it, and engage them. I would not engage them, inner discussion <laughs> with them. All right. So what? Usually, when you're arguing with somebody, you go reason, fight or flight. That's the basic what most people do until you learn to have other problem solving devices. And you know that mine is reason 
fight or throw him out of a helicopter. <laughs> so, so Jim, yeah. the, the scripture that I read in uh, Psalm 78, verse 9, is that uh, uh, combating uh, postmodernism? Confronting um, I don't postmodernism? I, I feel like I would have I feel like I would have to do a week's worth of reading to figure out if that's what that verse is can can apply to. You know, well, let's, you do don't think, let's let's do this. Let's let Pastor break the verse down and say why you yeah. did that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I would like to hear that. I would have liked to have heard uh, a definition of postmodernism, but I think wait, that, wait, that's, that Jim wants to correct. That's an oxymoron. You can't define it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be postmodernism. <laughs> uh, Kreider would definitely disagree with you on that one. <laughs> no, ask, I'm, I'm you, glad you're talking to your dad. You can't box them. You can't box them in. Well, postmodernism is what I think it is. Yeah. Okay, well, there so, is. <laughs> Jim, Jim, why don't you define postmodernism and then we'll let. Yeah, well, I think postmodernism is a reaction to positivism. Um, it's called enlightenment in some circles. I, I like to more specifically call it scientific positivism or positivism. It's a reaction to that where positivists say that uh, observation comes before knowledge. Uh, postmodernists are essentially combating that notion, saying no knowledge comes before observation. There's, there's knowledge that doesn't have to be seen that can be understood by the population. That is a very, very, that, that's not how the postmodernists see themselves. Yes, they do. I mean, I mean we, can, we, can, we can talk about that, but yeah. Well, my, my reality is my reality. Don't you think, Jim, that some of the scriptures have double reference? Double reference? Well, double, I think today, double. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, um, I just had a problem with you saying that you would, you would have to look at this verse in context. Uh, actually, it's pretty I, easy okay. to it's pretty easy to apply to uh, the way I would uh, understand postmodernism to be, and that is, uh, it says the children. Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Well, we we are not in a battle of, of flesh and blood, but we are in a battle against the kingdom of darkness. And we are armed with the word of God. And we are like the children of Ephraim because we've explained away with postmodernism, we have taken the miracles out of the Bible. Am I correct or incorrect? Positivism took miracles out of the Bible. Well, uh, hmm, very interesting. Which is a polar part of postmodernism, right? Yeah, the positivism is the polar opposite of postmodernism. It's the opposite. Yes, positivism is. Okay. Well, are, are you saying Rousseau was a was a a postmodernist? Rousseau seems to be. See, that's why I don't like calling it Enlightenment per se. Like what what. Uh, some Christians call it as far as um, anybody who says that science is the foundation for truth, that that's enlightenment thinking. I, I wouldn't say that that's enlightenment thinking. I would call that positivist thinking. I would say that there are a lot of enlightenment thinkers who are not positivists. And so I think Rousseau would be one of those. Uh, Rousseau was the father of the, of the, um, of the, oh, come on, what is it? I hate it when I get lethargic. Um, I, it's, um, you know, like France went in after the revolution, they went into a period of romanticism. Okay. Mm -hmm. That right there 
the father of that was was Rousseau. And Rousseau wanted to get rid of logic as the way that you that you approach everything and that some things are just what you feel and believe about it. And so that's why the romantic move, music and classical period doesn't go by the strict structures of okay, we got a we've got a piano concerto. That means it's going to be an orchestra that's going to be with a main instrument, that's a piano. There's going to be three parts to it. The second part in a different key than the first and third parts, and it's going to be slower and more mellow. But you leave that classic area where they have strict rules, and you go into romanticism. This feels this is this feels right. And they <clears throat> they went off and took and lost and took away those things that Mozart and those other guys had worked to perfect. Okay, and I can't stand the Romantic era, and I didn't like it before I knew what it was. Okay, mm-hmm. it was ugly to my ear because this. So, so Rousseau would have been would not have been a positive, not at all. He did not. Correct. Yeah, and from my understanding of Rousseau, he's not a positivist. Okay. So, I, but I would say that he was a romantic. Now, would he? Would he? Would you call him call him postmodern? I don't think so. Right. Well, he would have to be in the postmodern age to be called postmodern. And so I think that there are many people who connect his thinking to postmodern thinking. One of them is Truman. I forget what his first name is, not Harry. Um, Carl. You you beat me to it. (laughs) I knew that you were going to make a joke like that or something. But um, Carl, Carl Truman, in his book, I think it's called The Modern Self. He goes into Rousseau's thinking quite a bit and investigates it and connects it to postmodern forms of thinking, especially about gender identity and things like that. Leading to it. OK, I, I can, mm-hmm. say, I can yeah. say he was a conduit, but he wasn't quite. There. Right. Yes, I agree. I, I'm in full agreement with that. Well, verse 11 of Psalm 78 says this, that they forgot his work and his wonders that he had showed them. Is is mm-hmm. that uh, does that kind of describe postmodernism no. or not? To me, that would dis- uh, to me well, that would gotta, describe we more. The people well, here that are yeah, just, I mean, I, I I like you and me. You and me are on the same page. Here. Exactly. You guys get so intellectual. I have no y'all, idea what you're talking yeah, about. Y'all keep jumping back and forth. Yeah, <laughs> we're I mean we are bouncing around. <laughs> no, no, it's I guess it's like if you don't know what's going on in tennis, you don't know that they're changing directions because it crossed the body. See, like that is a, that's an example. It's like you're you know that one plus one is two, but I've never heard of math before. That's right. So that's what I'm getting at. All right. So positivism, positivism, positivism. Jim can correct me, but I'm going to give you what I think is the Reader's Digest version. They had an age of reason that showed that came along. Started with it started with Francis Bacon, where they wanted to say that everything should be provable by science and observation mm-hmm. all right and that took off and it led to the it that led to this intellectual movement positive movement that i think culminated with voltaire and in the end and voltaire would have been right before the revolution okay right before the french revolution he was a french emperor. I, I like him and he was <laughs> and, and he and, and also the encyclopedias you've heard of them i'm sure have you not Okay, I think I think I'm going to look it up. I think I'm going to look it up, and I'm just going to read the internet. Well, it's, so so the simplified definition. truth doc is what Dad just said was uh, like 
positivism holds that all truths are discoverable through reason and science. Okay. If you can't discover it through reason and science, then it, then you can't make that truth claim. Okay. So uh, things like morality. Okay. All right. So so how, here's how it went, though. This was important to get this. The French during the French Revolution had a bunch of positives. Okay. Rousseau led a different way. He led that your reality is basic, but you you have to have faith. You have to believe. That's what's important. And that led to the Romantic movement, which ultimately led to postmodernism, which is that you can't prove everything. Some things have to be accepted on faith. That's an age of faith. Okay, an age of faith led what well, they had an age of faith during the Middle Ages before the positive movement, it positive positivist movement in France during and before French Revolution. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Yep. That helps me. Okay. <laughs> I, um, I don't and, know and any so, religion, but I know my history pretty much. I'm kidding. <laughs> right. Just, yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's useful. I think it's very useful for this conversation because, again, I want to separate the I like I think the Enlightenment's a broader category, and positivism is a subcategory of the Enlightenment. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I have more trouble defining in the age of enlightenment than I do the other because because yeah. it's so interesting because you can follow the music. That's what makes it so interesting. You can literally watch go from Beethoven, mixed use Bach to to um, Mozart to Beethoven to Chopin. You can follow that line and it follows the age of reason. With, with the mm-hmm. age of faith, mm-hmm. and you and you can follow it in architecture and art, yes, and visual arts. So yeah, and and so where we're going with this, Pastor, is that the I think that the big um, I think I don't know where Doc or Jim's going to ultimately. I'll let you know this that during the, I hated Rousseau. Don't get me wrong, I thought that was evil man. He got spanked by his mother. I mean, not his mother, by his aunt or something. Um, but um, but. The revivals that we've had have always been not during times of age of enlightenment, an age of uh, of uh, faith instead of age of reason, or the or, or what Jim's calling postmodernism now. Is it uh, reason and faith? Are they polar opposites? I don't think. No, so. that's what they're not. Okay. No, no, they're not. But so reason fits into the equation for Christianity, but does is reason the foundation for knowledge? That's the question. And I don't think that reason is the foundation for knowledge, that there's knowledge that precedes reason. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so there's, there's, yeah. And so, but that doesn't mean that you just get rid of reason. That doesn't mean that that, okay, well, now that reason is no longer the foundation or science is no longer the foundation, that we just get rid of that altogether. It's like, no, we still use it. It's still very useful, but the foundation, there's something else that's there. And Christians call that foundation God. Yes. Okay. And so anyway, the what what essentially is being discussed in this class and what should probably what the audience hopefully is picking up on this is that there's some common ground between postmodernists and Christians that we can agree on and that we can potentially extend an olive branch to them on as far as this goes. And that is we agree with postmoderns, that science and reason are not the foundation for faith, or not the foundations for knowledge, and that faith is a sufficient means for understanding. 
Does that make sense? Oh, it does to me. It does to me, but that doesn't mean you mm-hmm. throw your reason. No, it does not. It absolutely does not mean you uh, throw your reason. So, so, yes. so, you know, and again, I want to say this, that, that both Spinoza and, and Kant especially hit on this. And, that, and that's why you, you see me such a lover of Kant, is that he, Kant, believed that, that it's, it's, a, it's, it's just crazy for someone to say that we all perceive all stimuli the same without there being something put into us by God that makes us interpret all stimuli the same. So if, if, if I'm getting hit with noises, light, I'm getting hit with smells, I'm getting, I'm getting hit with uh, pressure on me, those are all stimuli. Why do we all interpret them the same? To, and now we look and we see this table the same. It's because God put something in us to perceive that, to be able to use those stimuli to create a perception, and, and ultimately from that perception, ideas and, and thinking. So, so I've never had a problem with accepting both, because mm-hmm. I, I believe that 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 he get that 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 there are certain things like zero plus one is one, or two plus two is four. You can't debate those. That's reason. Mm-hmm. That's reason. You can't yeah. you can't conceive of a time that that's not true, except mm-hmm. in, except in California. Yeah. Well, and I forget what the problem was that the positivists kept running into. Like, I'm going to try to lay it out here, but it's probably going to be wrong. Essentially, what they were saying is we can trust our senses. Why? Because we observe things and we can all agree that this thing's there. Well, how do we observe those things? Because of our senses. And so it was like a circular argument that they were making and that they couldn't resolve until Christians, like Christians resolved it though by saying, no, we can't because there's an outside source that gives us these senses and that's God. Right. And, that's, and so and it's that's no longer circular. Whatever that's worth, that's Emmanuel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so Immanuel Kant pretty much breaks that circular argument and says, and has God enter the conversation, says, no, God is the source of our senses. And because God's the source of our senses, we can trust them and we can observe these objects and trust our reason and judgment in that. But our reason and judgment are not the foundations of knowledge God is. And so that's where, that's where reason and science fits in. It's that there are things that we can see and observe, and we should use reason and science to see and observe those things, but not all truths fit into that science and reasoning category. Uh, Am I making sense? I hope I'm making well, sense. Absolutely. The problem is we got to make sure that, that because I think Doc is right, is as good that Doc knows nothing about this. We need to put it on the bottom shelf, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. and so, so I, I think Glenn and I have had some of these discussions. But um, what I want to know. Really, do you guys have any questions on that, or can we go into how do you reach a, 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 a postmodern? It doesn't. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to move on. <laughs> <laughs> I think I pastor speaks for all of us. Are you saying that I'm tedious? No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's assume that the, that that a postmodernist. All right. I, I I I guess we still don't have that complete definition, but but. I thought that you were going to talk about a postmodernist that believes that, that is a person who believes that truth is their own reality. Um, their, their truth. Go ahead, Glenn. You mean their truth? The person who's who, the person who has a reality like me. What's my reality? That's truth. Whatever it is, I'm a girl. And that's my reality. It's real, even though okay. I, I would make one outstanding woman. Mm. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. And so whenever we're dealing with postmoderns, whenever we're talking about relativism, we're talking about the major philosophical, political, social, uh, and moral questions. Uh, we're not necessarily talking about that. We could talk about it as far as some people saying, is that chair really there? Most people, most postmoderns even will accept that. What they're talking about is the, is the bigger questions, like I just said, of the day. What is truth? Yeah. What, what is truth? And they, they've redefined truth because they recognized, like Christians have long been saying, that science and reason are not sufficient means for truth that you're you don't even how do you even justify relying on your senses and that was that's going back to that circular argument so positivists have taken that argument as well saying you can't justify using your senses in extracting truth from the universe because you have no foundation outside of that circular argument to say that you can trust those senses and so postmodernists have taken that and have run with it. And Christians are also doing the same thing. They're kind of running alongside postmodernists here. Now where postmodernists take is, is postmodernists deconstruct everything. I think you say it often on this podcast, dad, that postmodernists try to destroy everything. Well, they deconstruct everything and there's nothing built up in its place. It's all deconstructed. So what they lack is the message of hope that's found in the gospel. They have, they're, they kind of turned into nihilist or nihilist. How do you pronounce that? I say nihilist. 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 Yeah. I suck at pronouncing words. Anyway, but they kind of turn into nihilist because who, there's who? no. The positivists do? Yeah, the postmodernists do. Okay, postmodernists. Yeah, well, positivists do too. Yes, so, like, that's both, what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both, both ends of the We're spectrum the same are bad. But, like, I'm not advocating for either end of the spectrum. If we were dealing with positivists today, but then I would have other topics to discuss. But we're dealing with postmodern. That's pretty much the dominating culture, secular culture in the Western world right now is postmodernism. You talk to me like 50 years ago, then we would be talking about positivism. But postmodernism now has just come. It's swung full force this way. Is that Hegelian swing? Yeah, Heigl. And, yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. <laughs> Heigl. You know what Heigl is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is too funny. Dude. I got you. Yeah, you should see. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, hey, I'm hey. I'm sorry. It's, the, it's that pendulum swing. It's a reaction. Yeah, I, I get it. I'm saying it's a reaction. I, I get what you were saying. Yeah, I, was I, just, I was just joking. I'm feeling awfully nerdy right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I yeah. to uh, to your credit, I actually er, things have been cleared up, so I, I I have a better understanding of what. Let me say this, Jim. My dad, I, he did he didn't get into postmodernism positively. It was just scientists and poets. That's how he kind of put it. Well, there we go. That's it. There yeah. we go. We should put it that way. We have we have scientists on one end, and then we have poets on the other end. Yeah. All right. And and both. There like, we go. Christianity. <laughs> Thank God for my dad. It took it yeah. took twenty four <laughs> minutes, but we got there. And I think I think Christianity is just right there, smack in the center. Well, let's see. That's, if you that's can see my. What, that's okay. Let's see okay. if you can say what my dad put in the middle. Can you guess him knowing him? Uh, 
dang it. Uh, the thing that's coming to my head for some reason, the Sooners, but engineers. I don't know why. All right. <laughs> engineers. Yep. Doc got it. Engineers. Okay. Engineers all in right. the middle. You can have all this science, but if you can't put it back together and make a bridge that people have faith in, you're worth it. There we go. That well, is a wise I think man. That that's a good analogy for where I find Christi- Christianity's the engineering product. And so you have the sciences involved in it, but you also have the poetry that has these truths that aren't observable that you need to be able to construct something. And so that's what's happening in Christianity. And I think that that's something that we can offer postmoderns is, and, and that's what, you know, Crider's essentially saying is that postmoderns, they lack this message of hope. Probably. They, that's that guy they, who says changed they, my mind. What's that? No, I think Crider's that guy that says changed my mind. <laughs> no. Well, I'm, no. I'm going to say this, uh, insert this. My, my li- liberal professor uh, friends from uh, Tech, Louisiana Tech, uh, said that almost all engineers are conservative in their politics. Why would they mm-hmm. say that? Because they're leftist and anything to the right of that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's actually kind of true. Yeah. Like, for, 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 for conservative, you know, like, so politically, I lean. I lean libertarian or neoliberal. I like calling it neoliberal because libertarian. The li- name libertarian has become hijacked. But I'm more of a, a free marketeer, a neoliberal, and that's actually kind of moderate for liberals. But I was considered hardcore conservative at ODU, and so any what what Dad just said about if you're not liberal, then you're conservative. That's true in, at the university. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, and in fact, like being in the South again and just listening to conservatives talk, I haven't listened to Jordan Peterson in a while. I decided to listen to him some yesterday, and Jordan Peterson sounds liberal. Really? And so, and, yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying that's because I'm, I'm immersed in the South where you're talking about people who don't want immigrants coming into the country, who are, you know, uh, they're, they're more, uh, what do you call them, mercantilist than they are free markets, you know, and so whenever whenever you hear that and then you contrast that with what Jordan Peterson saying, there are many conservatives in the South who would disagree with Jordan Peterson yeah. in that regard. Well yeah, you know oh, well, you know, when, no, when I was the, when I was active on the Bulldogs, Barks and Mice, there was a political forum in that thing where we would talk politics and most of the people on there were engineers would be considered conservative by most. But if you go back and you read that political section find my post i had people calling me a libtard and i had people calling me you know a you know a, a right-wing fanatic and mm-hmm. that told me i was somewhere in the middle <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know what happens to yeah. people that are in the middle i mean you've heard about the confederate uh the guy that decided he'd wear a confederate top in union yankee pants he got shot from both sides <laughs> well, that's the, the, the that got, is a Civil War dad joke, <laughs> right? But I will say this: that the reason it happens with me is that I'm not really a a social conservative. I am a libertarian. That I believe that we all should be making our own choices about what is right and wrong, unless we hurt somebody else. And so that makes me, and I'm pro-immigration, but not the way we're doing. So those mm-hmm. those things would make me um, make me look liberal to some people, and I didn't care because I am a libertarian, not in the sense that I'm more. This that my main my main goal is to 
legalize marijuana. No, that's not, that's not what I am. My, the, my, what I believe, I define it as libertarianism is the, the right to do with your body and what it produces. You get to do that unless you person like that. And so that's my definition. All right. So back to, I want now we know what we're talking about on postmodernism. Postmodernism. Well, I still don't. Can we, can we do one more thing? Uh, and, um, like I'm, all right. Explain in like in today's world, who would the postmodernist be? Like, give purple like, hairs. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Perfect. All right. Um, that was that was more for the audience. Transgenders. Yeah. We need to. Um, yeah. We need to give a broad definition, a basic, simple definition of like, all right, who to look for when we're talking about reaching postmodernism. You can't say broad. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think that the where it manifests the most is in the transgender mo- uh, okay. movement. There we go. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. And then the positivists are the ones who say, "Trust the science." Yeah. I'm a yeah, that's back off, man. I'm science. With, uh, Joe with, Rogan. Uh, Joe Rogan's a good example, I think, of a positivist. Okay, perfect. There we go. We got yeah. our spectrum. That's all we. Mm-hmm. That's really all we needed to do. Yeah. And so, <laughs> well, that's it then. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's all we it. Do. See you guys. Um, okay. So yeah, how do you reach so, the purple hair? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, not calling them well, purple hairs would probably be well, a good place. Here's, here's to start. what I'll do. So, so this will this will do for Doc. Okay, how we reach the postmoderns is what they did in the Jesus movement. What was that? Well, yeah, you've seen the movie, correct? Yeah. Yeah, you open the doors to them and you share that message of hope because it's not just what they it's not just what they need to hear; it's what they long to hear. Dang, I but, got the wrong not, message. I got the wrong message in that movie. I thought I would let hippie music into the church. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not all the churches let them in. I mean, the, it, there was very few churches. the The interesting thing now that I, I that I observe is that many many churches, no matter what their background is, no matter what their theology is, the the preaching and the singing is pretty much the same in all the churches. And that's me uh, attending. Interdenominational, Baptist, and Methodist. They're singing the same songs. Their services are pretty much uh, just alike. And that's my observation. <clears throat> yeah. And and so, um, yeah, definitely postmodernists could change the way that we do things just simply because how their brains work. But we want to make sure that we hold on to our integrity. I know that that's what you're saying. Hold on to our integrity, but we let these people in, and they also have ways of thinking that can inform our theology. Now, it's not saying that there's no such thing as truth, but you need a broad range of, and there I go saying broad, we need a <laughs> wide range of um, of perspectives whenever we're doing theology. Um, and it's not, whenever I say that, let me clarify, I don't mean that we need wrong or incorrect perspectives, but we need to do theology as a community. And it, and these people, they need to hear the specials of faith. I'm not saying that we put them in any leadership position, you know, within those first three years or whatever. Obviously, they got to go through the walk like everyone else. But it's something that they're open to hear at this moment in time. And whenever they adopt this message of faith, whenever they see the truth, they're going to be able to contribute to those services the way that you probably want them to, Chris. How do you, all right, so how do you bring them in without, I mean, because essentially what you're going to have to do is is destroy their their current behavior. And how do you, how do you bring that mm-hmm. person in 
in love without while also saying, hey, you're not going to you're not going to want to continue to live this way. Like you can't. continue. Well, part of the church dome currently at that there's a group of people who are struggling and they are hurting because of their lifestyle. And it's kind of what was preached on the Jesus movement that these people are in pain. They're not they're they're actually quite miserable. They're living miserable lives. And so it's one of those things where it's better to have sympathy than it is to needlessly war with them over that. Uh, and so you're whatever they come in, they're wanting someone. That's the idea. That's the argument that they're wanting someone to give them something on which to build their lives because they have nothing. They've deconstructed everything. And so that leads to that nihilism that we talked about. And that's painful. And so what they're looking for is something else. And what I'm seeing it watermark is that there is a large group of people who are not necessarily Christian that are flocking to that church because they're not happy with with their current lifestyle. And well, so they need something they need something to build that on. Well that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah, all right, I think I got it. Let me try. All right. So the the sixties, late sixties, uh, you know, I think I think Charles Manson was a wake up call to the hippie movement. But the um they were searching for truth in all the wrong places. They were trying drugs. They were trying the psychedelic lifestyle, communal sex, you name it, they were doing it. And that movie demonstrates that, that Lonnie Frisbee, is that his name? He was, he, he was able to see that that's what they were searching for was God, that they saw that that was the search, that all of that was when, and those of my, like my dad didn't see that. All right. What I what I guess I'm asking now is that these people who are postmodernists, they're looking for a truth that's their own, and they're not going to find that. And so, <clears throat> and so you've got they're going to reach a point which you think is almost suicidal, nihilistic, and that you got to catch them on the way down. The Jesus <clears throat> the Jesus movement brought the uh, miracle aspect of God back into the church. I mean, even even in the movie, the first church that they went to, um, you know, they were being observed by the way they dressed, the way they looked, the way they acted. Uh, but they understood that God was a miracle God and that he's the same yesterday, today and forever. And that is the uh, one aspect that a lot of the church today is losing, even those that used to have it. They believed that God uh, was a miracle worker. And, <clears throat> and and today that has been taken out of the services. And there's a, 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 a phrase that's being used a lot today. And it's kind of, uh, you know, excuses the behavior of churches today. And that phrase is seeker sensitive. Well, uh, you know, the day of Pentecost was not seeker sensitive, and because everybody thought they were drunk, and uh, that part comes in and out of Christianity, especially in America today. In other words, I say for a while people are seeing that there's a group, if if not a large group, a charismatic uh, group is what some of them were called, and that was kind of sweeping the nation for a while. And now today, even some of those churches have become seeker sensitive. And so they fail to lay hands on the sick. 
to pray that they be healed. They uh, don't recognize uh, the Second Corinthians chapter 12. I think it is that names the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, they, they, they gear the whole service so that just uh, the common man, supposedly, the common person is going to be reached. So they don't want to say anything that shakes anybody up. And the old preachers, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, they said that when they got in the pulpit to preach, they believed that you should have a newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other hand. In other words, you, you need to be addressing the culture that is in your nation at that time. And so seeker sensitive, no, no, they don't want anybody. You don't get up there and say anything that's political. And you wouldn't dare in some of these churches get up and say anything about the trans movement or what's happening over in Israel, because you might have somebody out there that their great grandparents were, uh, you know, on the opposite side. And but I'm telling you, uh, God, God, God is flowing with the miraculous and he's flowing with the truth of his word. Yeah. Well, I will say, tell you that postmoderns would be open to that message. Well, that's right? good. And so I guess mm-hmm. I'm a postmodernist. Okay. No, well, you're not a postmodernist. Okay. So I think, I think that there's a, definitely a healthy balance between isolation from and identification with postmodernism. You're not a postmodernist, but yeah, I, I definitely don't think that you should isolate yourself from postmodernism. Like you said, you should have, that newspaper in your hand to be able to discuss the relevant issues of the day. And that's another thing is that we try to isolate our preachings or theology from culture. But if you do that first, you can't really decontextualize or, or isolate your preaching or your theology from the culture, because the language that we're speaking is English and the figures of speech that we're using come from 21st century United States and the the way that we talk is really shaped by the books that we read and the what the people on the uh, TV are saying to us or what we're all saying in that part of the country at that time like that dialect is forming how we shape our theology and so you really can't take the theology away from the culture but you can try to make your theology isolated from the culture and at that point it just becomes irrelevant so Let's just say that you're really trying not to be political that day, and you're trying to preach from the pulpit and saying, okay, what's the least political thing that I could speak on? Well, to me, I think that that would be the issue of circumcision of Gentiles. And so you could preach about that today, but who are you talking to? <laughs> like that audience isn't there. And so you need to be able to – this is my firm belief, and I've been saying this before this class, that – you need to be able to address those important problems of the day, but you need to do so in a manner that reaches out to those people like the postmodernists or the positivists. You also need you need to talk to both because positivists are still there in full force. I don't think that oh, postmodernism has done away with it. There are lots of positivists out there, oh, but that, you need to be no, able no, to no, talk no, to that's, both. That's that whole, that whole fiasco with the uh, COVID was all, was, all, was all a positive. Yeah, that, the COVID mess was all positivists. Yeah. Follow the science. And so and so anyway, yeah, you have to be able to speak to both. You, you want to make sure that you preach a relevant message, but a relevant message that reaches out rather than pushes away. How much of how much of uh, of like reaching out to them counts on them wanting to be reached out to? Because I would imagine if you if you went out to that 
well, I hate calling it the purple hair community because that's not very, mm-hmm. that's not very inviting. Um, but if you mm-hmm. like, if they don't want, I mean, right now, a lot of them are, would be pretty hostile to, to Christianity, mm-hmm. to the Christian message. But do you, yeah. do you need to wait till they're at a breaking point sort of? I mean, I, cause I do agree. I think anywhere we've talked about it a little bit, I think any, any worldview without a view of, of heaven almost leads to nihilism. So, so I almost think mm-hmm. like, yeah, if there's no, if there's no view of heaven, if, if you're. May, then, may I, all right, so you don't like purple hair. What about, what about lip piercing? I don't know. I, I, no, I, no, I do no, think. Right. Yeah, well, I do think you you Let me give you another one. Counterculture. Counterculture. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That is a, that is a, that would, that would definitely be a good place to start is not, is not, uh, not making fun of them. Um, I get mm-hmm. that it's in fun right now, but I'm talking like when you're going out there, you can't be like, Hey, purple hair. That's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I mean, yeah, like, but, but yeah, back to that, like how much of that relies on them being at a breaking point and how much of it is, is, you know, you going out and engaging with them. Yeah. Well, as cheesy as this sound, I think it all starts with prayer. And so you pray for those opportunities to emerge. What's that? I think the pastor's going to say it doesn't sound cheesy at all. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> prayer, prayer is a weapon. And look, the yeah. Jesus movement, they weren't waiting for someone to invite them into the church. They went to the church. They invaded the church. They went to uh, to change the church. And that really happened because during that period of time, there were churches like uh, the way I believe that, that began to spring up all over. They You couldn't call them Pentecostal. You couldn't call them Baptist. You couldn't call them Methodist. They were interdenominational. People had come out of all these different denominations seeing that they're, they're, they're at war with demonic powers on this earth. And it's going to take something supernatural to overcome these demonic powers. And that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is the gifts of the Spirit. That is the anointing of God. That is recognizing God to be a miracle-working God. And that was all in the Jesus movement. I wanted to stand up in the theater and holler, this is what I believed for years. (laughs) But my wife kept me in the seat. Well, that's it. I mean, I mean, look, if you believe that, that's the way that your church would operate, I believe, toward these postmodernists. Like, okay, right. Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. I understand. Exactly. Yeah. I understand mm-hmm. better than than the first 20 minutes of this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> We've got it down where even simple people can get a hold of it. I've got a hold of it. And again, I go back to my scripture that that. We we have we have weapons to take the gospel to this world and this culture, and we don't recognize and use our weapons. We've drawn back, and we've kind of settled into being seeker sensitive. We want to be like this church and that church and all the churches, and we don't want to say anything to scare anybody off. Well, you know what? In the Jesus movement, those those people were so. Uh, full of faith and full of Jesus, then nobody was going to run them off. Well, I mean, but the, the question I have, though, Pastor, I, I, I do believe you preach, preach truth on the, you know, on the pulpit. I don't think you, you know that. I, don't, I, I especially fear. But um, my, my problem is that they're counterculture. You can show them love when you get the chance and say, all right, so, you know, let, let me just say this real quick. I'm not saying that, that I've got a complete interpretation of this. But it's it's something that happened recently. 
And I saw it in Gateway Pundit, and they the headline made it sound like the Pope is becoming a gay. He's going to become gay, right? Well, then you, Steve Steve Lee said, "Hey, you need to." He listened to the podcast and said, "You need to go back and read that." So I went and read what the Pope said, and what he said was, "We're all sinners, and we're going to show love to homosexuals just like we show love to heterosexuals. We're going to tell them, hey, come by and see what we're about." But we love you. That's for sure. You need to know that we at the Catholic Church love you. And that's what he said. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't have a problem with that. Now, if you get him into the, if you get him into the, to the sermon now and you go, uh, you know, godhatesfags.com, yeah. you're going to chase him out. <laughs> right. That's, that's do you know that yeah, that's, that's actually the, the Westboro Baptist Church URL? That's right. Doc told me about that this weekend <laughs> when we were golfing. What was that? Yeah. The Westboro Baptist Church URL is godhatesfags.com. Which, like, who's that helping? I think <laughs> I think you're helping. right. By the way, I do I do think that that's uh, that feels like a four chan, like a multi generation four yes. chan yes. operation. But it does suck mm-hmm. for. I've got two things with that. First of all, it sucks for Christianity. You gotta we've gotta like overcome that message. But while overcoming that message, like, how do you? Because I, I would think that postmodernism is partly responsible. Not responsible. That's not fair. That's not uh, giving enough credit to the church for making the decision. But the Methodist split, and then the the issue with the Episcopal Church. Like, how do you balance accepting them in? And like, what? I mean, it's the church's responsibility, obviously. But it's you've got to balance it, letting these letting these countercultural people in while not while not um, yeah changing the well, God's principles, not can, our principles. Can you turn away? From- sin that you don't know is sin? In other words, somebody's got to tell them it's sin. Well, there, I mean, that would that would be the responsibility of the church to tell you. Well, I think that the church should unabashedly say that we are in the business of transformation. Okay. And uh, that's, that's, a good that, one, yeah. that's what is the, that's what the message is. I think that they want to hear. I believe that it. they, because, because what they were yeah, doing before is kind of that Jordan Peterson concept. Like what you were doing before wasn't working. Like, so why are you still going down that path? Yeah. Like what we're going to do is we're going to help you transform into this new creature. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and the church are all here to transform you into a new creature. There you go. Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, that's really that's good. That's good. Uh, something very strange happened a number of years ago, uh, maybe 15 years ago. Uh, all of a sudden, our, ch- our church was in a real growing uh, increase uh, period of time. People were coming in, coming in, coming in. And all of a sudden, we began to see that there were many gay people that were coming to the church. And so we talked about that. And I, and I. What was that? Many. Okay. <laughs> M-A-N-Y. Okay. I didn't know we had to spell everything. J-E-S-U-S. F-A-I-T-H. Hallelujah. You're working So. We found out that there's a program, a Christian program that's used, I guess, in all denominations. It's called Exodus. And they have developed a program to help people that that want to follow Jesus and they're having problems with this particular sin. So we ordered all that information and we started uh, we started ministering to them. Uh, You know, they still came to the services. But they also had this little small group, I guess you could say, that they were studying this. I had uh, two ladies that were school teachers. They don't live in this state anymore. And uh, they uh, 
they were gay, living together, and uh, they went to the thing, and they separated. Later, they decided that they would get back together, and so they came down to my house. You know, that's pretty, you know, where I live. You, you don't just accidentally no, go to No, you don't accidentally drop by. And so they came down there, and they told me that they were going to move to another state. And I believe they told me, within the context of the conversation, that uh, they were going to get married. And they did move to a, another state up north, northeast, of course. And uh, <laughs> they got married, and they uh, adopted some children. But at my house, what am I going to say to them? I'll tell you what I said to them. I took the Living Bible, and I brought it in there, and I read that portion of the Bible that explains why people shouldn't live like that. And when I read it, one of them said to me, you are scaring me. I said, I am reading you the Bible. And so that was, that was, that was my last uh, conversation with them. But I'll, I'll, I'll always kind of meditate on that and say, what was it that drew them to the church? The only thing I can say, it had to be the anointing of God that was moving in that church at that time. And they wanted that. They wanted that. And all I feel like that we tried to do was try to um, put them in a small group where that we could use a, a program that used scripture to show them how to get released from that particular sin. I am... Um... <clears throat> I don't, you know, I, I was sitting there trying myself to say what would happen if, if that would have happened to me. Someone came to my, you know, they were wanting me to tell them that it was okay. It's really, that's why they were in the house. You say, you know, well, look, it's it's a sliding scale here, and God loves you, and He's going to bless that man. Uh, you could, you know, what I'm saying that's what they wanted. I think. Yeah. What would you? How would you approach them? Um, that's a good question. And in the moment, I think I think I'd have to dictate it case by case as far as what do they need a kick in the pants or do they need gentle loving? And one of the this was interesting. I'm not necessarily sure how much I should lean on this understanding of what Jesus, how Jesus responded to Mary and Martha whenever Lazarus died. But for Mary, no, for Martha, Jesus, what did he do? He meant, I, I forget how he, I, I forget exactly what he referenced. So I could very, very well be wrong there. But it's either that he referenced scripture or that he told her that uh, Lazarus in the last day would be raised. I can't, do you remember what he said? Yeah, first? yeah. Well, he, he told her that she was, uh, she was too troubled about many things. And, and when she talked about that Lazarus will rise again, she's the one that brought up, oh, I know the scripture. That's going to be okay. in the latter days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but yeah so uh okay and so so jesus is kind of consoling her in that in that way with mary he simply weeps and so the point that i'm making here is that he had a different response to the two sisters about the same event and that's going to be that's going to be the way that things work with ministry i believe i, I don't see myself ever being a preacher of a church but if i were ever discussing this with a homosexual, then their sort of first personality who's presented in front of me will dictate how I handle them, just like uh, handling a pitcher. Well, when you take um, uh, the woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law said that she was to be stoned. Jesus is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, 
God in the flesh. And, and he says to the group around him, the, the one without sin cast the first stone. And the older men left first, and then younger men went. And there was nobody left. And he says to her, he says, where are your accusers? She said, I see none. He said, go and sin no more. So how that fits into everything we're talking about, I'm going to leave that up to uh, James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, So whenever we're dealing with homosexuals, we tend to want to focus on their sin much more than the sins of heterosexuals, like mm-hmm. porn watching or sleeping around with other women and things like that. Like your high school kid, your high school teen, if he goes out and sleeps with a girl, oh, well, that's just boys being boys. But if he does it with the with the dude, if he sleeps with a dude, then everybody's freaking out. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we have a we have kind of a problem about um, we put that sin on like a pedestal. It's a, it's its own yeah, like yeah, exactly. almost more severe sin. Yeah. Yeah. And it it's is the same. That's right. I, I was trying to think <laughs> of the scripture. Yes. Yeah. Well, adulterers should be stoned to death, both the man and the woman. So what do you do with that? Yeah. So anyway, so so what I'm saying is that um, there's there's no basis, there's no scriptural or foundational basis on which to raise homosexuality on a pedestal higher than heterosexual infidelity or uh, fornication. Well, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) What about it? Well, it seemed like. God was really ticked off about it. <laughs> and I know that there's some that try to say, oh, that was like. <laughs> some try to say, oh, that wasn't about homosexuality. Oh, really? Oh, really? Because they wanted uh, they wanted the, the men that had come to visit there, the people wanted, the men on the outside of the door wanted them to throw them out the men out so that they could uh, have sex with them. And, uh, and he was willing to throw the, his daughters out, which I don't understand that, but that's what the Bible said. So it, it, anyhow, um, I guess there's a lot of different ways to look at this. The thing that I always go back to is that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. That doesn't mean that we're going to be sinless. But that means that we believe that he paid the price for our sin. And he he paid the price for all the world. But you have to enter into this thing by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus took your sin on the cross. And when, when you do that, you should also be water baptized or dry clean. That's what I call sprinkling. Uh, you ought to have some mode of baptism. And it doesn't matter what label you carry, Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, it doesn't matter because if you go up, it's going to fall off. You know, if you go up in the rapture, the little tag that you're wearing that says Episcopalian is going to fall off. If you go to hell, it's going to burn off. So uh, the thing that really matters is if you really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, that's the important thing that I try to get across in almost any speaking engagement that I have. Uh, I well, that pretty, much sits, that, that pretty much sits on what this whole podcast is about, I think. Yes. Is that well, whenever we're, so let's go with the heterosexual 
homosexual example. Okay. Whenever we're dealing with heterosexuals, we give them a message of grace, typically. Uh-huh. Whenever we deal with homosexuals, we give them a message of condemnation. Wait, 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 wait. May, I, may, I, may I, I need to interrupt, if you don't mind. I don't think that's necessarily true. Not totally. If a person, I, I if a person, if a person had an affair and they backed off, that was wrong. I'm repenting. We do show grace. If you are gay and you stop being gay, I'll guarantee you we show you equal magnanimity. I, I, I'm going to tell you, even if you look at like college, college dudes sleeping around, like the, the guys will be guys view that is that I think that's extended with more grace than than uh, a, a guy sleeping around like that. I think that mm-hmm. the church would be more willing to invite that person in who is actively partying, sleeping around than a person who is engaging in a heter- uh, homosexual lifestyle. And I will say that tell you this fallacy sermon yesterday that wasn't how he acted yeah I, well I, no, no i'm not well i will not, say i don't it's think not, it's it's not every church but i think for the most part like i i would say that yeah it's more he was all on those guys yesterday but all, all i'm just, all i'm saying is that it's not everybody but no no general, it's not. yes general, it's not every day yes it's not it's, it's not, not everybody, but the general attitude is that if your son is gay put him in a mental hospital if he's sleeping around with women hey he's a stud but don't do that again. yeah yeah, and so that's kind of like the message. I, I do. I, I'm, 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 I'm telling you, like being closer to that crowd, I know what those, what these things were. It was there was a much more gentle message in "Hey, stop mm-hmm. sleeping around." It was a much yeah. more gentle. Nobody, nobody was saying you're going to burn in hell for sleeping around. I never, I have not heard that message. I'm, I know it happens, but it's so much more rare to to hear fire and brimstone toward the typical mm-hmm. college behavior than it is toward homosexual. Well, I've been yeah, visiting a, large, a lot yeah. of churches and you don't hardly hear fire and brood stuff. Well, I'm not, anywhere. I'm not talking about, I'm, I'm not, I'm not. In fact, mm-hmm. I heard a message I'm this exaggerate. Sunday that was incredible. And it was about being a peacemaker. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. I was there. I was there. It was really good. I was on the I figured you the would last like, row. I, I was up in the balcony. Uh, I figured, I figured you would like that message. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Jim, you want yeah. to say something? Uh, yeah, I, I, I forgot what it was. Well, well, let me say this. A couple of things. I do believe that there are some sins that are bad for a nation to be indulging. And I think homosexuality is one of them. I believe that it's a very bad thing. Is it bad to have affairs? Yes, they've been, they've been going on forever, and, there's, and God takes care of that. But I do believe he sees that sin as one that is bad for the health of I really okay, so there we go. There we go. That's that's what I remember I was going to say now. I think the large reason for it is because the Christians see political implications for homosexuality. They don't see political implications for adultery and or for just fornication, not necessarily adultery, but for fornication. And the I would say that there are political implications for both. I would argue against that notion that homosexuality is the cause and not adultery or fornication. I, I think sexual promiscuity is bad no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, mm-hmm. with that, you said, we're going back to what the podcast was supposed to be about. And that is, how do you reach the postmodernist? See, the poets. All right. So this is, this is what I, I want to say. Would you look at the Jesus Revolution? Yes, you're right, Pastor. They were coming to that church voluntarily. No one's having fun. They're grabbing by the long hair and their beards and pull them in there. Um, they were coming. Okay. They now, but one thing you do have to remember 
They did have cards and little tracks that they were passing out. They were out there actively, and I'll bet you, and they kind of showed that. For every 200 you pass out, you may only get one come in, but that's that sheep you're trying to get. So what I want to know is, is that what you're saying we should be doing? Our church should be sending out people trying to reach where they are, the, the postmodernists, and, you know, and, and invite them to the church and say, you're welcome. So, something I, else. With, oh, sorry. You, you can go. I, I don't think anybody sees how my scripture applies to everything we're saying. So listen very carefully. Psalms 78, verse 9. The children of Ephraim being armed. They were armed. They had their guns, bow and arrows, whatever, and, <laughs> and carrying bows. Holy grenades. And they turned back in the day of battle. So the Jesus movement was an army. And this is what I, I have. I have uh, I've been part of a drug court, um, the, the meeting with the leaders before we go out to the court uh, with the, the judge. That was right here in Ruston. And at the church that uh, that I was in for many years, we, we had reached out to drug addicts in a tremendous way. I went to one of the uh, uh, meetings, uh, forget some kind of a, a, a meeting for people that in the past had been on drugs and had come to Jesus. And so one of them looks at me and he's got tattoos all up his neck and all down his arms and his legs because he wore shorts a lot of times at the church. Didn't bother anybody at our church at all. And um, we thought he had on pants. Yeah, yeah. Well, there were almost that many <laughs> tattoos on him. And so he said, "Well, you came to speak to the losers today." I said, "You're wrong. I came to speak to the mighty army of God today, because those people are reaching out. Nobody has to hammer them about reaching out. It's in their heart." They know that a miracle happened in their life. They know they could have never got over drugs without the spirit of Almighty God. And so those people are like the army of God. And so what we've got to do, so many of our churches, yes, they're sitting there hearing good messages, but they're not going out and, and ministering to anybody themselves. They don't understand that we are to uh, go into all the world and, and preach the gospel. Well, I'm not a preacher. Yeah, well, every one of us has the responsibility to tell others about the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. And no matter what kind of sin you're involved in, the, the mercy of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ has washed you. You just need to accept that gift and begin to grow in the grace that God has given you. In fact, the Bible says, awake to righteousness and sin not. In other words, the more we see that we have right standing with God, the devil operates against all of us probably on a daily basis, and he brings condemnation against us and wants to bring up our past. But the best thing for us to begin to do is to say to ourselves or say aloud driving down the road, there is nothing in me that the blood of Jesus hadn't washed away. I'm a redeemed child of God. I have been born again. I'm in the family of God. I'm headed to heaven. And I'm telling you, if more believers would do that, there would be more power because they've got weapons of warfare, warfare, but they're backing off being the candle, being the light that Jesus said that we were supposed to be. And that needs to be, be the message that's coming out of the church today. 
and and even the message I heard a, a, about peacemaker that was a good message to let your light shine. To, and he was talking about it didn't matter, matter if you're on a team or or in your marriage or whatever to work to be a peacemaker. So I I go back to my scripture. We got we got the weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not regular weapons. They're mighty through God. They're the pulling down of strongholds. Let me tell you, adultery, fornication, and, and, and homosexuality are strongholds. Pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, and bringing captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. 10, 4. 10, 4. I like that back in the old days. You know, there was a sermon that was relayed to me. I didn't hear this firsthand. He was talking about the issue of if you divorce and you get remarried as a woman or you remarry another woman, then you make her an adulterer um, the, or an adulteress. The, uh, what you just said about this message of reconciliation and hope, this pastor kind of related in a similar way, but a, in a similar tone, but in a different way where he told them, like, I know that there are many of you who are divorced and remarried in this crowd. But the message of the gospel is not one of condemnation. It's one of it's one of hope and reconciliation. He says, you must not go on sinning. But what this means is that from this day forward, you will make things right. And one of the things that we went over at Watermark this past Sunday was David and uh, Bathsheba. Is that what her name was? Bathsheba. I, I have a little she was always up. taking baths. Bathsheba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so the first child, there's wrath brought upon that child for David's sin. But David goes and sleeps with her the next time as a married man to her after this happens to comfort her. And they conceive a child, Solomon, that child's blessed by God. Right. And so just because you've done terrible, atrocious things in the past, I think that this is something that's shown over and over and over again in scripture, whether it's David or whether it's Paul, just because you've done something over and over or it's done something drastic in the past, then this doesn't mean that your future is just a train wreck. Now, what it means is that we have a, we have a gospel, we have a gospel of hope that says that if you turn to him, if you simply turn to him, repent, then he will bless you still. And he will be reconciled to you, but you have to make that turn to him. You can't just go on sinning and rely on your status as Christian. You you have to repent. You have to turn on and sin no more. Right. All right. I'm going to try one more time. How do we reach the postmodern? How do we reach the counterculture? Do we have to go to them? Do we send them tracks? Do- well, I, I was going to, I was going to say this earlier. I mean, I, like, I don't want to, I'm not putting God in a box here. So it was, that movement was going to happen no matter what. I'm not saying that, but I do think that having like a Lonnie Frisbee was crucial to that. Like, like they needed hippies to reach hippies so like you mm-hmm. you almost need these like there's there's got to be a, a pretty significant number of mm-hmm. of postmodern to christian converts yeah. right so like I, i'm not saying it all falls on them but but i would say that's a, that's a, probably a pretty good i would say that reach. frisbee was a good example of being in the world but not of the world like he might have been in uh, of the world for a while but he suddenly became a person who's in the world but not of the world that's right. And one of the things mm-hmm. one of the one of the things that Crider says over and over again is you cannot be in the world and uh you cannot be in the world 
but not of the world if you're not in the world. And so he says, he, this is essentially a message is know these people, like stop talking to them from a distance, stop talking down to them from a distance, stop unnecessarily warring with an enemy that you don't know, which by the way, that's a, that's a, you know, know your enemies um, is a Sun Tzu tactic. So even from a secular perspective, it's unwise if all we're doing is talking down to them from a distance. We need to be interacting with them and transforming them. It's not adopting their lifestyle or anything, but seek first to understand. So we need to go on college campuses and talk to these people. Yeah, well, it has to, and I'm sure it's kind of probably aged aged out on it, too. I I don't think that that Chuck Smith wants to go along the walkway and pass Mm -hmm. them. I doubt they had the young kids doing that. Mm -hmm. Look like Um, Mm hippies. So, so I, good, fortunately for me, it's not my name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's part of it too. Like you got to know yourself a little bit. And so if you're, if you're one to get easily offended by those things, then just don't do it. But it, at the same time, you need to be praying for them and trying to reconcile every, reconcile everyone, including Hitler. Yeah. That's a, I, well, well <laughs> celebrate recovery is, is part of the church that I, and a pastor for so many years, and that is that is a group of people that have come out of drugs, and now they're trying to reach people that are still in drugs, and so that's kind of like the the Jesus movement. In fact, the early church, you know, I, I never say this. okay, you're exactly right. If there's a strength of that church, they have lost strength of that one. They have reached a lot. Well, we would call it dope heads. What yeah, the, what's the better word for it? I I still use dope heads. <laughs> broken people yeah yeah so so i got you that's what you guys think now we're running out of time and we hadn't had a spot painter yet glenn you want a spot paint okay uh i think we'll try what i think the um i think what we're really getting down to is postmodernism is just something we're talking about today as a non-believer or someone who knows the truth or feels the truth is out there and that how we approach them and how as Christians we minister to them uh, is can go either way. We can do it harshly and drive people away and for them never to return and say, I was right, I should do all this. Or we can use our example and our uh, compassion to keep them at least around the word. And if they hear the words enough, and I've used this analogy before, we talk about the straw that broke the camel's back. I think a breakthrough when you realize something, no matter what it is, when you realize the truth, a breakthrough comes because little bits of straw have been put on your back over time and you know you you see you know you know that let's say christians should forgive but you don't forgive your your demons have got part of your heart i guess you'd be the best way to put it and you say no no i'll never forgive or i i I forgave them but i still hate their guts or something like that and then something breaks through that you figure out that not only does God want you to forgive them, 
He wants to, you to do it for him, for yourself and others, but mainly for you. He knows what this is doing to your heart. He knows what's corrupting it. And so if we look at this, what we call sin, as this corruption from, you know, evil, uh, if they're around people who are obviously doing well, at least mentally, uh, they could say maybe there is some to this stuff and they could move forward in Christ. Uh, it's never a straight line. It's never linear uh, for anybody, I don't think. And so if you look at that, I think what we're telling people here is if you keep believing the faith, if you know that God and Jesus have given you this gift and this gift can be shared, uh, then you can, through your example, through your preaching, through handing out whatever, through inviting people to a church, for all these things, inviting them to worship, uh, you can turn someone with the worst uh, plagues, I would call them, of their spirit to God and Jesus, and therefore, you know, become much better off, much happier, and and one more convert to Jesus. That's excellent. Yes. Pastor, do you there we, go. we always give you the closing word? Do you have anything else you want to say? But you've got you got to do it quick. Uh, no, I think I've said what I need. He to said say. all he can say. So, the, Doc, do you have anything you want to add? Oh, no. All right. Well, here's the thing. Um, I need to ask Glenn before we go, real quick. Is it okay that I wait until it's cold before I go back to PJ's coffee? Well, if you if you want to put off enlightenment and all sorts of wonderful <laughs> things happening to you. Uh, you know, great studies. You could study your Bible there. That's no problem. You could uh, even look at a post-monitorist book, whatever you want to do. But uh, you could do that with delicious coffee or boosted teas. And many of our, the best, the most highest-selling drink there is a cold drink called a Granada that uh, has whipped cream. It's very, very delicious. And uh, has the most caffeine of anything we have there. So it boosts you up and you don't have to have a, a hot drink. You can have cool drinks and uh, cool in two ways. They're cool in temperature and cool to have them in your hand. Everybody <laughs> very, very jealous of you having that in your hand. Cool. So I'll, uh, I'll just say that. And uh, that's in the hot PJs in hot <laughs> Louisiana. Open from six. Eight every day. Thank you, guys. Two hours is all. Go. 8 p.m., James. 8 p.m. All right. Thank you, guys, for listening. Thank you, Jim, Pastor, Doc, Glenn. It's been fun. Thank you to our listeners. We'll be back next Wednesday for more non secular fun. Thank you, guys. All right. Bye bye. See you. Bye bye.